Welcome, everyone, to BAMS Radio. We were on a bye last week like the football team. We weren't on the air uh, for you last week, but we are now back. Uh, I'm Drew DeArmond, host of BAMS Radio, along with my co-host, Thomas Watts, who's also the producer in Wizard Behind the Curtain. And we are with our third amigo here tonight, and that is former Alabama offensive lineman, 1992 national champion, William Redfish Barger, still as close to the program as anyone. William, welcome back tonight to BAMS Radio. How you doing, man? Doing great, Drew. Hope you're doing well. Yes, sir. And first of all, to kind of wrap up Tennessee, it all unfolded about like we thought. Alabama was a little flat uh, in, after the first drive. 12 plays, 63 yards. They hammer it in with Bo Scarborough. Then they spend the next quarter and a half or so struggling with the run blitzes in the front that, that, that Bob Shute put up for Tennessee. He had a pretty good plan. Alabama, I thought, adjusted well. They started trying to go fast uh, in the second quarter, but ran into some problems with penalties that kind of stagnated things, though they did punch in a couple of touchdowns. But I thought maybe they found their formula coming out of the locker room in the third quarter. Uh, you know, it's been what I've been talking about, spread option, uh, going fast, and, you know, doing RPO play action. They went straight down the field, and we saw uh, Irv Smith really start to get involved at tight end in the middle of the field and Hale Hinches. They go up 28 nothing, and pretty much it's a game for the second team for the rest of the football game. Yeah, I, I drew. I thought the uh, the opening drive of the, of the third quarter was probably the the most efficient drive that I've seen um, out of the offense this season. And you know, I think that's something you, you just brought it up, and I think that's something I've I've even seen. You know, where Coach Saban has commented on it. I think they expect you know going forward when they when they play LSU Saturday and you know, Mississippi State later on this month at Auburn and, you know, beyond that, whatever happens. You know, I think you're going to see, um, you know, more fire fire blitzes from the corner, star blitzes from the safeties to try and slow that run game down. But I thought the way that Brian Dayball adjusted coming out of the locker room um, in the third quarter, um, you know, two weeks ago basically now, uh, versus Tennessee was, was a great, great adjustment, um, a real fluid drive. Like you said, they started going fast and then, you know, segued into, um, you know, the second team offense coming out there and, you know, just continuing, um, you know, what that first team offense, you know, it wasn't the wholesale changes. You know, it was, you know, Tua, Najee Harris. Um, I think you could even basically say now that um, I certainly can't list um, – Jerry Judy and, and uh, Henry Ruggs as being second teamers anymore because they're so involved in the uh, you know the offense. But um, great drive, you know. I thought they finished Tennessee off the way that they needed to. Um, you know, a lot of people have you know brought up that that pick six that Tua threw, and you know certainly if that was a close game, you know having a fourteen point swing. Um, you know, could have been a, a difference maker. But, you know, the way he responded and, uh, you know, made up for it with explosive plays and putting points on the board, you know, I don't I don't worry about that, um, you know, at the quarterback position. If you make a mistake like that and respond with explosive plays, you know, it negates itself. But, um, you know, it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, gotten boring, Drew, with, uh, you know, a lot of the, you know, the, the rivalries, you know, Alabama's three biggest rivals, LSU, Tennessee, Auburn, um, you know, they, they've beaten Tennessee 11 times in a row. Um, what are we now? Six times in a row versus LSU. Um, you know, you take out, 
you know, Saban's first season in 07, um, you know, versus the, the cam back and the, the miracle in the meadow on the kick six, you know, he's, he's kind of had his way with Auburn as well. So, um, you know, and I think that's one of the things that's, you know, that causes the fan base to, you know, nitpick and critique every little thing that may not be a positive and try and turn it into a negative. I think, you know, Alabama fans, not only are they spoiled, but they've gotten bored a little bit. Agreed. I mean, they they probably have, but I thought it was good to, to watch how uh, Tua Tungavailoa responded to his first real adversity. And, and William, uh, I made this comment up in the press box, you know, after it uh, went down, but uh, that throw that we saw uh, from Tua Tungavailoa in the fourth quarter to close out the scoring from 60 yards out to Henry Ruggs is one of the best throws I've ever seen in Bryant-Denny Stadium. Drew, I've watched it six different ways to Sunday, and I still don't know how the ball got into that window. Um, it was incredible, you know, what Ruggs was able to do once he caught the pass, you know, turning on the afterburners. Uh, it was just as incredible. But, yeah, it's, you know, it's fun to watch because, you know, you look out there and you see, you know, Alex Leatherwood playing left tackle against, you know, whether Butch Jones is, and that's that's kind of, you and I have talked about this before, um, while I was kind of waiting to see what, what Tua did um, against a legit SEC defense, and say what you want to um, about Butch Jones as a head coach, but he's got some really good football players um, on that defense. There, there's a lot of guys on that defense that, that Alabama and every other school, um, you know, tried to recruit. And, uh, you know, they finished them off in a very uh, commanding fashion. Um, you know, and again, you have to kind of, you know, peel the layers back of an onion and realize what's going on there. But, you know, to see Alex Leatherwood flourishing at left tackle when he comes in, uh, you know, Jedrick Wills at right tackle, Najee Harris getting all those yards, um, you know, it's just got to be demoralizing for, uh, you know, the teams that Alabama have played up to this point in their schedule, um, you know, when you see them making those wholesale changes, well, you know, the starting quarterback's going out. Uh, you know, no more Damian Harris. You know, no more uh, uh, Calvin Ridley. And for them to still be able to operate offensively the way that they do, man, I mean, it's 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 fun to watch. If you're an Alabama fan, it's not so much fun if you're a uh, a Tennessee fan. <laughs> <laughs> no no question about it but uh you know Alabama they came out uh you know uh, pretty good uh, injury wise you know Rashawn Evans had a small scare where he had a stinger but he came back and uh, really play, really still had a very very strong game yet again uh his his draft stock's going through the roof he's now considered a first rounder perhaps the top inside linebacker in the draft by Mel Kiper Jr. Uh, and we saw Josh Jacobs continue to get more and more comfortable with him. I really thought we saw some great flashes out of him. He did tweak his ankle toward the end, but from what we understand, uh, after wearing a boot through the bye week, he's been moving around really well. Coach Saban said he would be available. There was no issues. Uh, I even broached this, William, and and I'll ask you about it. We know the the biggest question going into the bye week has been the disaster at punt return uh, and unable to catch the football consistently. There's been a lot of talk of, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick getting an opportunity. He's talked about wanting to do it. I know you've been excited about that. My theory, and I don't think it's going to happen because I have been hearing who's been catching the punts, was that we might maybe give Josh Jacobs an opportunity to do it because it would allow him to touch the football more. 
your thoughts on punt return and what we may see Saturday night? You know, I would love to see Minka Fitzpatrick or Josh Jacobs back there, Drew, but based on what I've been told uh, by some people that were at practice during the bye week last week and practice this week, is it's the same old situation with the same old guys. Um, you know, it's it's digs, it's it's rugs. You know, we'd all love to see Minka. You know, my, my take on it is this, Drew. You know, if, if Nick Saban has got – you know, Damian Harris out there blocking punts. Uh, you know, why can't Minka Fitzpatrick return them? Um, that's that's just a no-brainer <laughs> to me. You know, whether or not Nick Saban pulls the trigger, you know, maybe that's, you know, something that he's got in his back pocket that he's going to unleash on LSU Saturday night. Um, you know, we'll swap the wait and see. Uh, you know, Jacobs would kind of be a, uh, um, you know, kind of a, a 1B uh, moment for me if it's not Minka. Um, you know, I still think Henry Ruggs has a really bright future. Um, if, you know, if he can get more consistent in catching the ball and not putting it on the ground. Um, you know, and Diggs is good too. But, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick for the month of November and, you know, if they can get beyond, uh, you know, the Iron Bowl, I mean, I just think that would be a game changer. And then, uh, as we know, uh, Deshaun Hand has come back to practice. Coach Saban saying yesterday uh, that he would be a game-time decision. He was moving still a little gingerly uh, during the bye week, but he's been medically cleared. I, my theory has been we might see him for 20 to 25 snaps. What are you hearing on Deshaun Hand? Yeah, I mean, I think he's probably going to go, Drew. Um, you know, how much? You know, I think it all depends on, you know, what Matt Canada um, you know, wants to do offensively. Um, you know, you got a new offensive coordinator, Les Miles and Cam Cameron are gone. Um, you know, does, does Matt Canada fall into that same rabbit hole of, you know, trying to line up with three freshman offensive linemen, um, you know, a quarterback that's been, you know, very up and down in his two years as a starter and Danny Etling. I mean, do they really – do they want to replicate the last two games, um, you know, trying to run, you know, Darius Geis, you know, between the tackles against, you know, the best run, run rushing defense in college football? Or do they want to, you know, kind of segue into you – know, they got some really, you know, pretty good wide receivers. Or, or do they want to try and attack where Alabama's been vulnerable in the past, um, you know, with the downfield passing game? You know, I don't know – uh, you know, how smart that would be with an inconsistent quarterback in Etling. But it's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, what kind of game plan uh, Matt Canada comes up with to attack that, that Jeremy Pruitt defense. Um, I know when Matt Canada was hired, um, there was some, you know, some nervous moments last spring, um, you know, when the Alabama defensive staff started breaking down what he had done at Pittsburgh for the last couple of years. You know, all the pre-snap motions, um, you see how effective they've been able to, uh, you know, fool and trick people with those jet sweeps during the course of the season. And I think that's, uh, you know, been predicated by all the motion and movement that he does pre-snap. Um, but, you know, all the pressure, I think, in this game is on LSU. You know, if Alabama can go out there and, you know, establish a running game, um, as good as Dave Aranda, you know, has been in his career as a defensive coordinator, I thought he had a, a great game plan uh, defensively for Alabama last year. 
Um, but but they've they've really kind of taken a step back this year with you know injuries and suspensions. Um, I think they're 47th in the country right now in rushing defense. Most people have had you know some success running the football on them. Um, you know I, I don't think the pressure is certainly on Brian Dayball, but I think the game plan that he comes into this game with is certainly intriguing to me because. Um, you know, LSU does have athletes on defense. They don't have a lot of depth. But, you know, I would expect the same thing that you saw out of Tennessee two Saturdays ago, um, you know, bringing those corners on those fire blitzes, the safety on the star blitzes, to try and force uh, Jalen Hurts to throw the football. Um, that being said, you know, I think that's one of the things – that makes Alabama's offense so dangerous. You know, if you put Jalen Hurts, um, you know, in a pro-style look and you give the ball to Damian Harris, you know, if they're able to uh, – and I don't think they have the, the horses up front, the front seven, to stop that uh, without bringing the safety uh, star, you know, fire blitzes and the fire blitzes from the corners. But if you, if you choose to attack it that way, um, you know, you've still got the uh, the answer to come back with with Jalen Hurts running zone read plays. So, you know, I think this is a, a really good, you know, classic chess match, um, you know, between Brian Dayball for Alabama's offense versus Dave Baranda and, you know, a guy that the Alabama fencing staff thought was, was probably a, maybe a more dangerous addition back in May um, versus November in Matt Canada versus Jeremy Pruitt. And I'm just I'm anxious to see the different wrinkles that uh, that Brian Dayball brings to this offense against Dave Aranda, because Dave Aranda gave everybody the blueprint for the rest of the year against Alabama when Jalen Hurts is a freshman. I think this is going to be one of the tr- uh, the, the the first true litmus test where we're going to see how much Jalen has improved. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, I think if you go back to that, that opening drive of the third quarter, I think you probably saw that improvement. Um, you know, all those passes that he threw on that drive were very catchable. Um, you know, certainly having a, you know, an offensive line against a, a defeated Tennessee defense, um, they were able to run the ball effectively. And, you know, that that's what tends to open up RPOs like they were doing. And um, I, I think the difference – you know, Drew, from from what I saw last year with Lane Kiffin versus what you saw against Tennessee with Brian Dayball was, okay, if you're really going to, um, you know, bring all these different defenders to try and slow our running game down, and you even heard Gary Danielson say this during the broadcast, you know, if you're going to allocate all these people to stop our run, we're fixing to attack the middle of the field. And I think that's something that if it plays out that way in the first quarter, uh, Saturday night, I think that's immediately what Brian Dayball has to go to. Uh, you know, don't don't try and run uh, Damian Harris into a stacked box with eight players. You know, ask Jalen Hurts to do what what he can do and attack the middle of the field with with you know Irv Smith, you know Calvin Ridley running quick slants. Um, the middle of the field should be open, you know, for for 15 to 20 yard crossing patterns. You know, let's see what can happen. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm I'm anxious to see it. And defensively, uh, I want to see uh, what the continued growth is for Alabama. And 
you know, uh, as you know, I work closely with Wes Neighbors. He said today, and, and this is something that you've been beating the drum on, or and I should say he said it earlier this week, that uh, I guess he's now heard what you have, you know, and I'm still going to, you know, be, be cautious with it because it would just be so unreal in under three months. But he is saying that Christian Miller and Terrell Lewis will be back by the Auburn game. You know, I, of course, some people say, why don't you, you know, medically redshirt Terrell Lewis? And, you know, Miller has already redshirted. Lewis is not. But I think the whole, the whole theory would be that Lewis is not going to be there four years anyway. He's going to end up in the NFL. But uh, I thought that was interesting because we know his son is on the coaching staff that he thinks that we could see those two back by Auburn as well. Um, you know, I have heard the possibility of Christian Miller, uh, being available for the Auburn game. What I was told initially, um, after his injury versus Florida state was there was a, you know, kind of a, a, a window there of a week, um, between the Auburn game and the SEC championship game. Um, you know, I'm still hearing that. And again, you know, the the, the rehabilitation uh, timetable could have changed, um, and I think that would be great if Terrell Lewis um, was available with Christian Miller for the Auburn game. But I'm still hearing, um, you know, Terrell Hall uh, back for the first playoff game. Now, I hope that information is dated, and maybe Terrell has, uh, you know, responded in a positive way to uh, the rehabilitation but to have both of those guys back for Auburn would be unbelievable and then uh, William uh, this game with LSU uh, as we've uh, we, we Alabama's prepared for it they went into this bye and uh, we I know there was some criticism of Brian Dable you know to start off the season but I've been really pleased with how the uh, offense has developed and evolved uh, he's done what I thought he would do, get back to downhill running and been, you know, patient with the run. Uh, he's helped, uh, I think, Jalen Hurts get more comfortable. You know, Jalen hasn't been perfect by any stretch. You know, he struggles still a little bit with his accuracy and with a deep ball. But we've seen Tua Tungvaluwa play more than any freshman in the league, and I think it's insulated Alabama from an injury derailing their season at the position. I would give the offense an A going into LSU. What are your thoughts? Um, you know, I would give it an A with an asterisk attached to it. I think you have to kind of play uh, revisionist history here a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think that that Florida State team that they played in the first game of the year, um, I, I, I don't think even if the injuries hadn't, hadn't have come into play for them, you know, I don't think they were going to be, um, even without all the injuries, I don't think they were going to be a playoff team. But I do think they were a – legit top 10 uh, program. Um, but I've, I've never had a, a problem with, with anything that I've seen out of Brian Dayball as a play caller all year long. I think he's, you know, basically done, uh, you know, what a, what a surgeon would do um, with a patient if he was doing exploratory surgery. Um, I think Dayball has kind of, you know, all plays, you know, looked at what we've done well. You know, certainly he was, I'm sure, told during the interview process by Nick Saban um, that he wanted to get back to having a downhill running game. Um, and, 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 you know, he want, of course he wants to be balanced with, with the passing game. Uh, but we, I never did understand the criticism 
Um, because, you know, the way it unfolded, Drew, was I think everybody was expecting, you know, the tight ends to be more involved uh, in the early part of the season. But what you saw was the running backs being involved in the passing game. You know, Buzz Scarborough and Najee Harris, you know, getting swing passes out of the backfield. You saw that during, you know, the month of September, and it, it spilled over into October. Um but, you know, you know, give the guy a break. I mean, he, he's got a lot of weapons. You know, it's hard to, uh, you know, get him all the touches. I can remember, you know, during the uh, so-called consultant week, uh, you know, when, when Lane Kiffin um, was kind of interviewing on the job as he was a consultant, <clears throat> um, you know, he told Nick Saban, uh, you know, we've got to figure out a way to get Derrick Henry 100 touches, Amari Cooper 100 touches and O.J. Howard 100 touches. Well, that's impossible. Um, you saw the next year um, Amari Cooper got the 100 touches. You saw the next year Derrick Henry got the 100 touches. But it's impossible to get three different players like that with that many touches, um, especially if you get into blowout situations. You know, um, you know, Jalen Hurts' stats have kind of taken, you know, a dive this year because, you know, he's been – put on the bench so many times during blowouts. Um, you know, it's probably the main reason why Damian Harris, you know, isn't a Heisman Trophy candidate right now is because of the blowouts. And, you know, he has to split reps with all those other good running backs behind him. Um, but I, I've been very pleased with Brian Dayball. I think he's been a great addition. Um, if the season continues to play out the way I see it playing out, you know, he might go down as being the, the best hire that Nick Saban's ever made at Alabama. And that is, uh, you know, just a, a very interesting take and uh, tremendous. And I was very excited about him the more that I studied him. And I, I thought he's done a great job. And before we go over to the defensive side of the ball, I've got to ask you about Jim McElwain. I never would have thought that before the season he would be in trouble or end up, you know, fired. But when you, the more you peel back the onion, he just never was a fit for Florida. He didn't see eye to eye with their administration. I think their administration was slow in doing some things that he wanted done. He saw how Nick Saban ran a program. He wanted to be the voice. I think the uh, the uh, athletic director, J- Jeremy Foley, who hired him, I, I don't think Foley liked the way McElwain went public with some things uh, that uh, he felt like, you know, about facility improvements. And then I don't think he was seeing eye to eye with Scott Strickland either. And then, you know, he talked about he's taking heat for talking about the death threats. Those death threats were legit, but I think the timing was bad, and I think he handled that part of it poorly. I still think he's a quality football coach who we'll see again. But ironically, William, he's not going to go to Oregon State, as the rumor had it, because Rick Neuheisel, of all people, has taken the Oregon State job. I still don't think we've we've seen the last of Jim McElwain uh, I think he's going to resurface somewhere as a head coach. Yeah, and, you know, Drew, you, you might see him resurface somewhere uh, as an analyst first, uh, maybe as an offensive coordinator. But, you know, Jim McElwain is a quality human being. Um, you know, I, I got a chance to spend, you know, some time with him when he was at Alabama. Um, you know, he, he's not a guy that, that really probably needs to be uh, the voice of a of a you know a blue blood program like Alabama or Florida. Um, he's a laid back guy. Probably you know 
I think probably his biggest downfall as a head coach at Florida um, was in recruiting. Um, and, and, you know, a guy that's a, a quarterback guy and an offensive coordinator, um, you know, he just didn't get the, the guys in there that he needed um, at quarterback. And, you know, when, when you when you see in, in year three um, that a reject from Alabama and Luke Del Rio was the starting quarterback, I think probably the, the nail in the coffin um, for him and this wasn't his fault. You know, he wasn't the one, you know, doing what he wasn't supposed to do. But the Will Greer departure um, probably wasn't handled very well. But, you know, they've got policies in place in Gainesville. You know, if you fail, you know, a test for uh, performing enhancing drugs, and while you're on probation for that, you get busted for a cocaine uh, drug test, there's nothing else the university can do for you. But – I think the the reason that Jim McElwain lost his job at Florida is probably the same reason why Les Miles lost his job at LSU. He he just wasn't able to attract, um, you know, a, a high level quarterback that could function in the SEC. Um, you know, he brought some guys in like Randy Shannon um, that probably should have shored that that Florida recruiting up in the state of Florida. But, you know, the guy, the guy, you know, um, probably to me, I think, the nail in his coffin, and if you look at this and how it played out, um, you know, when Jim McElwain was hired at Alabama by Nick Saban off the Fresno State, the Pat Hill Fresno State staff, um, the guy that replaced him was Doug Nussmeyer. Um, when Jim McElwain left, go be the head coach at Colorado State, um, you know, the guy that replaced him as the offensive coordinator was Doug Nussmeyer. Um, when, when, when Nussmeyer got away from Nick Saban, he went up to Michigan and worked for Brady Hoke. Um, Big-time failure up there. Um, I really don't understand why, you know, Coach Mack brought him down to Florida. Um, Big-time failure down there as well. But, you know, I think the reason that the coach McElwain failed at Florida um, probably has to do a lot with that McElwain hire. But at the same time, I think you have to look at it, Drew, from an AD administrative level. Um, and, you know, a lot of people had a lot of respect for Jeremy Foley as an AD. But, man, go look at those head coaching hires that he's made since Steve Spurrier left. You know, Ron Zook didn't do real well. Um, you remove Urban Meyer out of the equation, and you know you've got Will Muschamp. Um, so you know I don't know if if Jim McElwain's failures at Florida. And I'll say this: you know he's not a guy that's you know real comfortable in front of the media, um, which tells me he's probably not real comfortable in front of alumni booster groups. But you know I think there's probably more of a systematic problem at Florida that doesn't involve Jim McElwain and, you know, probably goes back more to that should be hung on Jeremy Foley. Well, and I think also having Steve Spurrier down the hall and wanting uh, McElwain to go to him for advice is a mistake. I think he's a boat anchor. He needs to just tell stories and raise funds and stay out of the football part. Agree. Yeah, I just think Spurrier is hurting them right now. It'll be interesting to see if Scott Frost – 
chooses the Gators or if Nebraska makes a move and tries to head them off at the pass there. But Florida, I think you're, you're right. I, I think uh, Jim McElwain has uh, you know, privately said, too, that uh, they still have a lot of problems with the culture there since Urban Meyer left, which probably means Dan Mullen is a no-go as well, considering he's from that coaching tree. Uh, but, William, to uh, go back to the grades, defensively, you know, because of the injuries – and everything that has occurred, and the way this coaching staff has been able to adjust on the fly. I know the stats aren't what they have been the last two years, but they're still pretty damn good. I'd have to give the uh, defensive coaching staff an A-plus with how they've handled all the adversity of this defense and still put uh, what is a top-five unit in America on the field thus far. Um, I would probably go a step further now. You have, you have, you know, this is the, you know, the number one thing that Alabama is getting dinged over right now is the strength of schedule, and we'll see how it plays out during the month of November, Drew. But really, right now, um, as as it as it lays, um, they're giving up four points less a game um, than the the 2016 defense did, and you know they faced better quarterbacks last year and better wide receivers. Um, the 2017 defense has, but you know they're. Uh, I think based on what I saw this week, uh, number one in rushing defense, number two in scoring defense, either number two or number one in total defense, and you do have to factor in, you know, that schedule. Um, but you know, it, it, you know, it really, you know, it is. You know, LSU with Danny Etling, are they going to put up a bunch of points against this defense? Probably not. I think the outlier is uh, Mississippi State. Um, you know, they've put up some points against some people. Um, they've never put up points against uh, uh, Pruitt at Alabama. Um, I'm talking about Mississippi State and uh, Fitzgerald. Um, you know, what happens against Auburn, I think, is probably going to be the you know, the final judgment on, on this 2017 defensive unit under Jeremy Pruitt. But, you know, and the way that they're doing it with, um, you know, you talked about Rashawn Evans earlier um, and his draft status. You know, he, he's, you know, now a finalist, um, you know, for, for the Butkus Award. You know, are we really looking at, uh, in the month of November where a small town high school football program called Auburn High School, could could they possibly produce two Butkus Award winners in consecutive years in Reuben Foster and Rashawn Evans? I think it's a real possibility. I just saw an uh, unbelievable stat. I was sharing it with Thomas Watts. Uh, you know, I just retweeted it because I think it's amazing. Uh, and he's been the story of this defense. It's why I think the unit is still elite. But, I mean, you've got to be amazed at, you know, just uh, how, you know, this guy has played all year. But, I mean, I'm just, uh, quite frankly, uh, Levi Wallace, uh, as far as the pro football focus, I mean, you know, you know how they grade guys as far as lockdown corners. By far and away, William, at 5.1%, Lowest passer rating when targeted SEC cornerbacks, Levi Wallace. You know, it's an amazing story. And I think when you look at all the uh, the five-star players that are involved in Alabama's front seven, you know, you know all the names. 
but but really uh, when you start looking at it um you know a lot of people have you know Minka Fitzpatrick and Ronnie Harrison both um rated as first round players at the safety position but when you look over there on both sides of the, of the boundaries you know you've got a, a converted high school quarterback in Anthony Averett at one side and a walk-on in, in, in Levi Wallace at the other. Um, what my take on that is, is, you know, a lot of Alabama fans shouldn't really worry about uh, the recruiting for this recruiting class. Um, they're they're going to find some corners to play there. But, man, you got to fit your cap to, to those guys on the back end of Alabama's defense because – Certainly, um, I think the, the, the biggest difference between this year's defense versus last year um, is the sack numbers. So, you know, those guys on the back end are having to cover, cover people a little bit longer, and they've done a damn good job of it. So you have to kind of, you know, prop up Levi Wallace and Anthony Averett, you know, over there at the, at the two corner spots um, with what they've been able to do. Now, they haven't faced – a really good quarterback that has some big, tall, wide receivers yet. Um, that's coming up uh, during the month of November. We'll see how they hold up there. But, no, I think Jeremy Pruitt and that defensive staff has done a great job um, in 2007. I love, you know, having, you know, undersized guys out there uh, running around making plays. Um, you know, feeling each other, congratulating each other when they make a play. Um, it, it's fun to watch, Drew. It's been probably – this has easily been, I would say, outside of the 2008 Alabama football team under Nick Saban. This year has been easily the funnest Alabama football team for me to watch. And then finally, uh, as far as grading the team, uh, the, the special teams I'll give a B-minus for me because – Papa Nostas has been the story. I think he's 13 out of 16. He's been amazing after looking like a, a disaster in the spring and early fall, but he's really been consistent. J.K. Scott has been good, not great, uh, but he's you know he's had a couple of shanks, but he's certainly not been as good as his first three years, but he's still had his moments. You know, the real issue has been, of course, the punt return. We talked about that already. Not any explosive kickoff returns either. Coverage units have been pretty good uh, covering kicks, except for maybe one or two occurrences. But B-minus would be me for the kicking game. It's going to have to improve down the stretch. Uh, your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, J.K. Scott's a, a known commodity. Uh, you know, Papanostas has done a fantastic job so far through the season, um, you know, with this field goal kicking and extra points. Um, you know, I think the, the coverage teams have done a good job. But, you know, where, where Alabama is kind of looking for, you know, lightning in a bottle, and you touched on it, Drew, um, is in the, you know, kick return and punt return, you know, end of the game. And, you know, you know could Nick Saban, you know, pull the trigger and, and, and you know, make Minka Fitzpatrick that guy? We'll have to wait and see until, uh, you know, probably 7.30 uh, Saturday night. But, you know, how you go about grading this team, I think you have to, uh, you know, look at everything from, you know, the Florida State game through, uh, you know, two weeks ago against Tennessee. And, 
that they've done a great job on both sides of the ball. Um, the number of young players that they've been able to incorporate uh, week in and week out, and I'll say this, um, it's probably not a, you know not been against some really good football teams, but they've beaten those people like they weren't in good football teams. And that's all you can ask out of your football team is to go out there, you know, each Saturday and beat the opponent that you put out there in front of them. And, uh, you know, they've done that. So, you know, I'm not real worried about it. You know, I think there's some things that, you know, Nick Saban can do to tweak some things and make it a little bit better. But, you know, at the end of the day, as an Alabama football fan, you know, this has been a unbelievable season. Um, it's been very enjoyable to watch. Um, you know, I think more so because so many of the young players that have come into the program, you know, have gotten a chance to get on the field early. You know, Alex Leatherwood, Jedrick Wills, Najee Harris, um, you know, Tua Tungvaloa, Jerry Judy, Devonta Smith, you know, right on down the line. Um, it's been great to watch because you're getting to see the next wave of talent, the next, you know, the, the future uh, out there every Saturday, um, pretty much, you know, halfway through the third quarter or at the beginning of the fourth quarter every week. And now uh, to refocus on LSU, I like the Tide in this game, 31-13. Uh, we're, we'll get Thomas's pick here shortly. I think that they can play Alabama tough for a half, but I do think – Brian Davis will stay patient with the run. I, I think Jalen Hurts is going to make enough plays with his legs and and uh, with uh, his arm uh, to pull away in the second half. I think we'll see Tua Tungavailoa when the game is under you know wraps, when Alabama feels good about it, when they get up in the 17-point range. I think he'll play in the game, but I don't think he'll, he'll – he's not ready yet for a defined role, in my opinion, even coming out of this bye. <laughs> but I just think Alabama is the better football team really in all three phases, though D.J. Chark is very dangerous as a returner. I do think Alabama can take him away defensively and put two guys on him, put Minka Fitzpatrick, put Levi Wallace on him, and kind of take him away. But, And I think they can slow down Darius guys. And I think this team's going to be motivated from what guys said last year at the end of the game, talking about how Alabama was scared of he and Leonard Fournette, and even he continued the mantra in the summer. Minka Fitzpatrick has made reference to that, that they haven't forgotten it. Uh, but I just think right now Alabama is the much better football team. Your thoughts? Wait a second. Back up for one second. What, what are you talking about with uh, the comments that Geis made over the summer? I'm not familiar with that. He said Alabama loaded the box, and that's the only way they could stop LSU because he, he obviously can't count to seven because Alabama never put eight guys in the box. They never loaded it. What they did was just kick the shit out of uh, LSU's <laughs> offensive line. And, get, and as, as, Nick, as Nick Saban always says during LSU week, are you guys going to strike somebody? Talking about the defensive line and get off blocks. Well, they got off blocks for two years, and they held LSU's backs to 2.7 yards per carry. Geis is coming off his best game of the year, 250 yards against the worst defense in the SEC known as Ole Miss. But I think he's going to see a different uh, deal on Saturday. He's a very talented player. But I, even with Dave Aranda uh, on defense and then with what Matt Cannon has done offensively, on, on both sides of the ball, I just don't think LSU has enough horses. And I think that Darius Geis, 
I don't anticipate him getting close to 100 yards in this game. He might do a little better than Leonard Fournette if he can break an 18 to 20 yarder late, but I think he's going uh, to be a very sore young man after the game. Yeah, and you know, when you look at the fact that they've got three, uh, whether they're redshirt freshmen or true freshmen starting on their offensive line, you know, going up against, uh, you know, the Deron Payne-led, you know, Alabama defensive line um, that that nobody can handle one-on-one. You have to kind of, you know, double-team him, and, you know, sometimes you're not even able to double-team him. Um, You know, I like your score prediction. I'm kind of right there with you. You know, if I was still a gambling man, um, I would not feel comfortable taking Alabama with that many points on the table. But I do think it's going to be a double-digit victory. I, you know, I think you might see a, you know, 38-13, to 13, you know, type of a win. Um, you know, I think you'll see it be a tight ball game in the first half. But I think in the second half you're going to see – uh, Jeremy Pruitt and Brian Dayball impose their will um, on that LSU football team, and it's going to be lights out. And Thomas, well, we'll let you come into the conversation. Your thoughts uh, on the matchup? Sure. Well, so so the thing about what's it take to beat Alabama traditionally, if you're going to go pro style, first off, a pro style team hasn't beaten Alabama, particularly in Bryant Denny, since the nine six LSU game. Uh, what, six years ago now? But really, to even start to think about how to do it, you've got to have really, really good line play, both offensive line and defensive line. An LSU offensive line that starts a bunch of young guys who, to their credit, have developed this year is not a good offensive line yet. Looking at the defensive line, Arden Key has come back from his injury and is finally starting to play like the potential top 10 NFL draft pick. But the rest of the guys just don't blow me away. They're decent. They're not great. you got to love Devin White as a linebacker for LSU, even though he kind of shot his mouth off for reasons that confuse me. But you do you, boo. You're about to get your face stomped in. You do you. Overall, uh, overall, I feel like where LSU has seen their talent take a step back, Alabama has stayed strong. I think they will come out and they'll play inspired football, and it'll be close for a you know quarter, maybe a half. But Alabama's going to hit the gas, and Alabama, I've got them actually winning pretty big. I've got them winning like 35-10, 42-10, really, really, just taking them apart. Because you know, as much as Auburn gets credit, or excuse me, as much LSU gets credit for beating Auburn at home, if you look at what made that comeback possible, it was a punt return touchdown. And then Auburn getting slightly out of position on jet sweep motions, giving LSU big plays to get him back into that game. You take those things away, which I think Alabama is much more built to handle, whether it be J.K. Scott punting the ball out of bounds if, if it has to happen, or a lot of speed on the back end. LSU's not going to be able to drive on Alabama's defense. I just don't think that's going to happen. And I think Alabama's offense will be able to just grind it, grind LSU down. They don't have the horses. They don't have the depth. Alabama should win this one pretty comfortably in my mind. Excellent thoughts, Thomas. No doubt about that. I think we're all on the same page with Alabama LSU, which would set up more than likely a trip to a top 15 ranked team. It would be eight and two in Mississippi State. Though I did, and, they, and we know Mississippi State easily handled LSU. 
I did watch Mississippi State uh, defeat uh, A&M at A&M, and they, they beat them worse than Alabama did, no doubt. But every, Alabama's everybody's Super Bowl. I still think Alabama, if they take Nick Fitzgerald away, we'll talk about that next week, though, is going to be, it's going to be tough for Fitzgerald to make plays on third and long. He doesn't have the skill guys outside, I think, to, to consistently beat Alabama. But they have, they have improved defensively uh, under Todd Grantham. But I just think overall – this is a bad matchup for LSU. I do think they're going to give it their best, but I expect Alabama to win the game, uh, to outcoach LSU. I think they've got a better staff. And Ed Ogeron saying tonight that uh, K.J. Malone, the left tackle, is questionable, which means we could see a freshman there. It's going to be tough for Louisiana State uh, to continue uh, to, uh, you know, uh, to, uh, to uh, you know, sustain drives. If they don't make explosive plays, it's going to be tough for them to score you know, in my opinion, over 13, 14 points over the University of Alabama. And I'm, I'm only counting on them finishing one drive, and that may be late against the second team. It could be around 31-3 before that happens. Uh, you know, we'll see how it unfolds on Saturday night. But to end this uh, BAMS radio, I wanted to ask William uh, to talk a little recruiting. Uh, last week, you know, I wasn't able to make it to this game. I went to watch Paul Tyson at Hewitt Trustville. In the last two years, I've now seen the top three quarterbacks in this state uh, who, uh, have, uh, who will be, uh, you know, uh, all heavily recruited next year by Division I schools. Probably as talented a group in 2019 at the quarterback position that this state's ever had. Uh, I've seen Bo Nix. He's a very, very good player. He was at Scottsboro when I saw him last year. I've seen Tua, Talia Tungavailoa uh, earlier against Mountain Brook and uh, hoping to get the chance to see him again soon. Uh, won't see him... Uh, Friday, as I was hoping, because Hillcrest Tuscaloosa is hosting Thompson tonight. But last week, uh, I, w- I, w- I was going to try to make it, but thought the weather might be bad. It ended up staying clear, and Talia Tungavailoa continues to ride his own legend as he led uh, the Thompson Warriors to their first ever victory in 21 tries over the Hoover Bucks, driving them 99 yards after the officials first botched a fumble that uh, they didn't call a fumble that that Thompson would have had. Then he throws a 98-yard touchdown. They call it back for a legal man downfield. So he takes them 99 yards, four converted third downs, and then kind of stomps a mud hole in them at the end by sticking a dagger in them from 12 yards out on a slant. William, this guy's special. You've talked about, you know, Mark Freeman and what he's building at Thompson. Looks like they're going to go 10-0 in the regular season. And we could see a monstrosity of a rematch in the semifinals if, and it's a big if, the uh, Hoover Bucks can get by what's probably going to be a quarterfinal matchup at Hewitt Trustville. Well, Drew, I'll tell you something. Um, you know, I don't have a lot of respect for this guy, but, you know, you have to kind of, you know, give credit where credit's due because he's done it for, shit, 40 years now. Um, you know, I think the, the simple thing to, you know, answer your question and, you know, in this segment is what Vestavia High School football coach Buddy Anderson said about Talia Tungavailoa. Best high school quarterback I've seen in 40 years. That's uh, is that's is, uh, that's a very strong statement from you know, the winningest coach in this history of this state and uh, who's won a lot of football games, won two state titles, over 300 wins. And, I mean, Talia, he's the best. I would rank them like this. I've seen all three of them. I would rank Talia one, Bo two, Tyson three. 
Tyson is not a great athlete. He's okay. He's got a good arm, not great. He does pass the look test. He's 6'3", you know, 185 pounds. He can gain weight. But quite frankly, if I were Alabama, uh, I don't know if I'll take two quarterbacks in the class. I would take Talia Tungvaloa and be happy with it. I understand the political part with Paul Tyson uh, being the great-grandson of Coach Paul Bear Bryant. But that can also be an issue if he joins the team because a lot of people are going to want him to play a lot. And I don't think he'd ever beat out Talia. I think he needs to go elsewhere and have a career. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't able to beat out a guy that's going to the Citadel. He's a 5'11 guy at Mountain Brook. He transferred. You know, Josh, uh, you know, Josh Floyd's done a great job developing him this year, but I still don't think he's near on the level of Talia. All you kind of heard from the, uh, the, uh, the fallout of the Hoover game was how he, he was unbelievable. You could move him off his spot, but he could still make plays. He, you know, it was a real first real adversity since uh, the opening week that he saw, and he came back out like a champion because on that drive they were losing 25-24. He had thrown a pick six. As he said, he made one bad decision in the game. He finished with over 230 yards plus passing, and I think uh, the Thompson Warriors have an above-average chance to go unbeaten and win a state championship. And the amazing part is he, Shedrick Bird, who had 130 yards rushing, Amari Kite, uh, his, and his top receiver as well, they're all juniors. So they're all going to be, you know, prospects next year. You know, they're going to lose some seniors like Jalen Rayham defensively, but they're still going to be very, very good. Uh, you know, Mark Freeman can hold his own with anyone. I mean, uh, we know that uh, what uh, Josh Nibbett's built at Hoover, but I think there's a new sheriff in town in Birmingham and, uh, you know, the Thompson Warriors are here to stay. And as, you, as uh, you've noted, William, they're definitely investing financially in that school. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you have those, um, you know, those SEC caliber prospects there. They've also got, you know, three or four other players that are, you know, D1 prospects that they have to deal with. But I think this is the year um, – you know, if Mark Freeman's going to do, um, you know, his deal, and he's already done it one. You know, he took the dragon down uh, last week with Hoover. Um, but, you know, he's going to take uh, over as being the, the alpha dog um, for, for you know, Birmingham and Alabama high school football. Um, he's already taken down Hoover. Um, you know, they've, they're playing Hillcrest tonight. You know, we'll see what Mark Freeman dials up, but he's got some really good high school football players that are that are helping him make that happen. He does, and he has Thomas Ram on his coaching staff, Tim Castile, Jay Gaines, a really good staff there. They're fully invested at Thompson High School. And then, William, to, to close it out, uh, Alabama could be getting a commitment uh, this weekend to Dab Joseph. Coming back to visit, strong, you know, inclination. He could finally uh, go public with his commitment to Alabama. Jalen Waddle coming in, looks like, for an official visit. Could we see Emory Jones come back? Are there strong indication now at Ohio State offering Jaron Williams that Emory Jones could flip from Ohio State to Alabama? This class starting to take shape. I still think it's going to be a top three group in the country. And Brenton Cox coming in. Some very interesting dynamics starting to take shape in recruiting. Yeah, and I think that's something to watch for, you know, especially for the Saturday night game versus LSU. If Emory Jones comes, um, is Brenton Cotts coming with him? Uh, that seems to be what the uh, Ohio State coaching staff is more worried about, um, you know, versus Emory Jones flipping to Alabama, the one they seem to really 
covet is Brenton Cox. So um, if Emory Jones shows up Saturday night and Brenton Cox is with him, then it's on. It's going to be on like Donkey Kong. Well, and, and finally, uh, basketball-wise, expect Alabama to get a commitment at 3.30 on Friday from Javion Fleming from Canton, Mississippi. He will choose the Crimson Tide over the Georgetown Hoyas. He's 6'9", 230 pounds, a back-to-the-basket center to go with Jared Butler, the point guard from Reserve, Louisiana. I think they will then wait until the late period and continue to recruit Robert Woodard, the small forward shooting guard uh, from uh, Columbus, Mississippi, who uh, uh, Mississippi State, Memphis, Alabama, Ole Miss are involved with. But I do think uh, the uh, Crimson Tide feels like they're in a very strong position with him. He, he visited for the Ole Miss game. They've been recruiting him. Antoine Petway's done a great job with him. But I think they're going to add those two pieces to, to take the seniors' places. Uh, you know, uh, of, of course, uh, Riley Norris and Armand Davis. Armand Davis kind of sidelined right now with a bruised knee. Uh, Riley Norris with a hip. But I think they'll both be fine. Uh, they're going to have their first exhibition game on November the 6th against UAH. I will be there. Looking forward to that in Coleman Coliseum. And then November the 10th in Annapolis, Maryland, they will take on the Memphis Tigers and Tubby Smith. Uh, and uh, uh, the son of Buck Johnson, uh, who signed uh, with Memphis after Alabama didn't have room for him. So that'll be an interesting narrative. But, William, I know Auburn had to take Denzel Purifoy and uh, Austin Wiley off the floor. I know you have an excellent source at Alabama. I'm still hearing Colin Sexton is good to go. It seemed to be indicated by Avery Johnson today. What are you hearing in that situation? Same thing, Drew. Um, you know, again, with the evidence that everybody has in place today, um, what you've seen from, from Alabama basketball, um, from a fallout standpoint, that's all it's going to be unless there is new evidence there that, that it's overturned, uh, going forward, you know, that they had the, the basketball coach on staff. that was kind of a, uh, uh, you know, an outlier. Um, they took care of that, uh, with the NCAA, but you got to understand this is a FBI investigation versus an NCAA investigation. So there is, you know, the possibility that, you know, some things could happen moving forward that are not, you know, in the public eye right now. But that being said, I'm told uh, Colin Sexton will uh, be allowed to play his one and done year before he goes to the uh, the NBA. Uh, next spring. We'll see what happens. Well, and then that's why Alabama will wait and make sure Sexton goes to the NBA, have a scholarship open. Uh, but John Petty is one to also watch. He's been outstanding. And then even Herb Jones. I don't think Herb Jones will be a one and done, but he's he came off the bench for 12 points as they beat Baylor in a close scrimmage last Saturday, 75-67. He's really impressed the NBA people. I was told when they signed him, he had more upside than both Pexton, uh, excuse me, Colin Sexton and John Petty, and that he, he, if you know, once he developed in two or three years, he could be a monster. I watched him in high school. Very good defender, can guard four positions. Just needed to gain weight. Needed to work on a shot, a slasher. Needed to work on his offense, but uh, you could see the athleticism and the length, and his upside uh, would be tremendous. And if Avery and his staff, John Pelfrey, Antoine Petway. Uh, now, Yasmir Roseman is as good at developing players, especially Avery Johnson, as I think, and showing them the path to the NBA. This is going to be some fun times for Alabama basketball. You know, also hearing uh, facilities-wise that they have a plan 
to do a, a baseball type renovation like they did, com- just take tearing it down to the bare bones and renovating Coleman Coliseum. It won't be like it was under Godfrey, which uh, you know many people, including myself, and I know William has said the same thing was lipstick on a pig. This would be a gutting, just the bones left, and then a 10,000 seat arena with everyone on top of each other. But it's going to be fun to be an Alabama basketball fan very, very soon. Uh, and I think uh, everybody needs to get out to Coleman Coliseum as much as they can because this team is going to be fun to watch starting on Monday, November the 6th. But uh, looking forward to that and looking forward to Alabama hopefully winning their seventh straight over LSU this coming Saturday night in uh, Bryant-Denny Stadium. And then uh, moving on to uh, what would be another excellent test in Starkville, Mississippi. And we'll talk with William Barger about that next week and his experiences in Starkville. And uh, we'll be coming to you live talking some BAMS radio uh, in, uh, in about a week. So we hope everyone enjoyed the show tonight. Everyone enjoy and uh, get, get to Bryant-Denny Stadium on Saturday night. Be loud. And uh, hope this Alabama Crimson Tide team can continue on this roll, trying to win their 17th national championship and vanquish the LSU Tigers. Good night for my uh, co-host Thomas Watts, for William Redfish Barger. We will talk to you soon. Roll Tide.